Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. I'm Ryan Cooper. Uh, today we're we're doing a little bit of a newsy episode. We're we're checking in on Gaza and um, state and local, state and national politics. That is uh, in in our, in this week's episode. Um, but uh, be- before we break into it, for, first of all, I want to say R.I.P. Matthew Perry. Um, I'm sure listeners probably have seen yeah, this already. Absolutely. Uh, but, um, you know, when I was a kid in the 90s, you know, growing up, Friends was absolutely ubiquitous. Everyone watched it. And even though I did not like the show at all, really, I thought it was it was a little too lowbrow for me, uh, anti-intellectual even. <laughs> Um, I can recognize friends as a pretty, pretty excellent work of like workmanship, I suppose, you know, uh, it, I think, you know, the modern, uh, travails of television show that it's pretty difficult to make a, a watchable show week in and week out for years. And, uh, Matthew Perry was, was a big part of that. And it seems at afterwards, you know, I think why I sympathize with him a little bit more as he seemed to really struggle with a lot of personal problems, a lot of addiction, a lot of other stuff. I think, you know, we probably haven't heard the half of it, but he seemed like a really genuine guy who, who tried to help others and, and who were struggling like he struggled. And, um, you know, he's only 54 and ain't that old. Um, so that's true. Rest in peace, Matthew. It's Perry. sad. It's, it's sad. It's, it's one of those, celebrity deaths that um that reminds you that you know they're just people too but they they connect with us uh insofar as watching them might have been part of our history but also the characters they played or the people that we kind of thought them to be um from their interviews or from um you know however we we have these parasocial relationships uh we we of course are are glimpsing the real people in our own lives and um, the unknown people that are, you know, our, our fellow citizens or fellow human beings that have the similar struggles. And, and, and I think there's, there's something about grieving somebody who is publicly discussing their addiction issues and, and is, um, is a kind of um, reference point for something that is usually very private and hidden or secretive even. And, um, yeah, you know, it's it's uh it seems like he was going through his addiction issues while from the very beginning of his um you know, success on friends and um and that as far as I can tell his, you know, co-stars were were actual friends and I think they all developed a very close bond in, in many ways um as as one can do when you kind of find yourself in um spending so much time with people and sharing a kind of special experience that others don't understand. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's tough with, with all the devastation that we see in the world. Um, every life is, is special and, and needs to be thought of as, as worthy of um, being mourned, you know, um, but certain certain people who everyone knows in that parasocial way can be a kind of uh, reminder of all, all the others that we don't know. And so, um, yeah, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, yet another sad story. And, um, you know, hopefully 
hopefully people were that were helped by him and that knew him can kind of uh, carry on his mission of helping people uh, that are going through those things. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I think that kind of segues us into to, to talking about Gaza for a minute. I mean, just two episodes before this, we've been talking about Gaza, but I think that, you know, it's worth saying a few more words on it. Um, so far, it's it's we've progressed basically over the last few days into some kind of ground invasion, not a full scale invasion so far, it seems there there was a brief blackout of the Gazan like internet. It's very unclear what's happening in there exactly. Um, but there are Israeli troops like entering this the city, I think kind of like commando units basically. So far the the you know Gazan Health Ministry, which is control controlled by Hamas, uh they said that there's like eight thousand killed, mostly women and children. You know, the population of Gaza is less uh is like half under eighteen. You know, who who knows what the genuine figures may be? They could be more than that. You know, Hamas obviously is not a very scrupulous organization, but that doesn't seem at all implausible to me, given the, like basically saturation bombing parts of Gaza have experienced over the last several weeks. Um, and certainly, you know, many times at this point, the uh, death toll of, of, of Israeli civilians killed in the October 7th attack have, have been killed in Gaza. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, the, the, the Biden administration, basically they, 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 they seem to be, I mean, it's, this is another one of those things where it's very difficult to tell what exactly is happening because in public, they're basically just giving full support for Israel, like maybe saying qualified things like let's don't kill everyone in Gaza, maybe. Uh, and, um, you know, sort of <laughs> just gestures, but like con concrete facts, like the, the, the Biden's backing them, Jake Sullivan, you know, the lead, what, he's not, is he, wait, is he secretary of state? What's his national security, uh, advisor? Is he, let's see. National security advisor. Yeah. And so he, he was just up in camera saying, I say like, we support Gaza or Israel's right to retaliate against Hamas. And so, uh, at the same time, there's reporting, who knows where this is coming from, you know, or what the intention of it is that like they're they're working back channels diplomatically, like increasingly heavily trying to persuade the Netanyahu and now Benny Gantz government, you know, the unity government to like not to, to, to reconsider, to, to like at least pull back on the casualties somewhat to try to come up with a plan to, to you know, the other that isn't just drop more bombs, you know. And that doesn't seem to be working. And that might be why the articles are coming out, you know, like this could be public pressure too, in a sense, like leak going to reporters and leaking, you know, like this is a very common diplomatic tech, but it's like, who the, who the fuck knows? But the concrete of it is, uh, you know, Israel is carrying out basically an ethnic cleansing campaign, you know, de facto or intentionally. That's what a lot of the ministers inside the government are saying needs to happen. And the Biden administration is supporting them in all like the concrete ways that matter. Um, and, uh, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's distressing. It's distressing. It's tough too because, um, you know, Biden had this odious quote, um, about 
And, and again, he didn't even say Hamas, which, you know, you have a lot of people focusing on Hamas, 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 even though uh, the thousands and thousands of people being killed are just, you know, Palestinians in Gaza, families and um, doctors. And, you know, uh, so there's that conflation there that's that's uh, weaponized. But um, but he doesn't even say Hamas. He says basically Palestinians can't be trusted about the cal- uh, the casualty numbers, you know, and um and, 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 you know, this is in a discourse that is trying to, to have international pressure brought to bear for a ceasefire. And this is the thing that has been so, um, I don't know about you, Ryan, but I, <laughs> it's been very hard to watch, especially, I mean, we're old enough to remember, uh, the war on terror and Iraq and all that, you know, terribleness, but we didn't have, um, social media like we do today. We didn't have so many videos and so many just scenes of devastation. Um, nor did we have so, so many like idiosyncratic, uh, on the ground reports from, from the victims and and from all kinds of people. And so it's just been really tough to see, um, all of the suffering and like the elites, the, the politicians, including the very powerful American government, is 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 not even willing to like forget pressure. I mean, for, and forget public uh, pressure or using the power we have over Israel. Uh, they're not even like willing to ask for a ceasefire. <laughs> and even Bernie, you know, whom we usually love, he like creates a new euphemism: humanitarian pause. Let's have it. You know, you won't even say the word ceasefire. Um, and as, as we know from the phrase pause means you can just resume the, the carpet bombing of the Gazans as soon as you just let's have a little pause. Let's just have a little pause. And, and it's just like, um, kind of devastating to see so many people unwilling to have the moral courage to ask for something that just historically, it doesn't matter how partisan you are. It doesn't matter what the geopolitics are. It doesn't matter, um, any of that to ask for a ceasefire. I mean, people ask for ceasefires, even when they know it's not going to happen, just to like reiterate killing bad. <laughs> like let's, <laughs> let's have peace diplomacy, find another, right? Like really yeah. simple stuff. And you just, you just see these politicians tur- turning themselves in, in, in pretzels to avoid just that very basic lowest possible bar. Um, meanwhile, you have Israelis saying it's despicable right to ask for a ceasefire a real like perversion of of reality um as if what's what's despicable is the asking for peace rather than the murdering of innocents um so it's i you know this won't be our focus today because it's something that we could just focus on every episode while this happens but uh for me it's very hard to care as much or think think about other things when this is going on and when our government is supplying money and weapons and, and seemingly, as you said, who knows behind the scenes, but seemingly doing so little to stop all this senseless devastation and violence, you know, meanwhile, around the world from New York city to London to uh, Istanbul, uh, massive protests and pressuring of other governments and uh, UN votes that the U.S. is against again embarrassing themselves in that are not even binding, but just simply asking for ceasefire. So um, the world is watching right now, and uh, it's not a good look. And the, certainly, the the Arabs in this country are, um, insofar as they were going to vote for Biden, and this is like a year away. So this is you know this is early yet, but uh, 
it, you know, it's, it's kind of embarrassing to see the standard issue, like chates of the world or whomever, uh, already being like, you better hold your nose and vote for Biden. I don't care if your family just got slaughtered because of him, you know? So, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to think about other things anyway, amidst all that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, to, to cap it off, I would say what, what the pro- progression of the violence demonstrates, you know, my, my, my guess, my best guess is that the, that the Biden people think they can thread the needle, that they can ex- express public support and then privately try to cut, like do back channel diplomacy to try to get, uh, Netanyahu not to like end the the bombing entirely, but to like not do a straight up genocide to to not like actually kill like half the people in Gaza. Um, and I think that it's not working because, you know, we, we should we should recall the context here with Netanyahu specifically. You know, this guy uh, was 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 fighting for his political life right before this Um you know, there were like, I don't forget how many elections right in a row, like five of them. And he just barely managed to cobble together a majority uh, with the support of these far right settler parties. He's he's facing or, sorry, at the same time, he's facing this uh, corruption investigation and an actual trial for like comically blatant kleptocratic Putin style shit uh, that that these guys always do. Um, and the only way for him to not die in prison, as far as I can tell, is to preserve his regime. And and I think that's why he's been so unresponsive, you know, like like it's straight up his fault. No, no matter your analysis of the situation, you can be the most far right Zionist psychopath. Netanyahu was taking the IDF troops off the border with Gaza and taking them out to go to uh, help the feral settlers uh shoot Palestinian children, you know, that like, like he left the door open and, um, it was because he needed those, those, those psychopath votes to preserve his own, you know, political career and his own liberty and his own, you know, power. And so to him, I think it's fair to conclude at this point, he doesn't care about Israeli lives. He doesn't care about the hostages. He doesn't care about Hamas. All he cares about is preserving his own power, his own regime. If he goes down, then like that, like that's it. And, and, and he's going to die in prison. And so, um, you know, this, you see him lashing out on the, on the, the deleted tweet where he was blaming the security chiefs, you know, for, for, it's like, you know, everyone but me. It's, it's my, my, I'm innocent. Um, and a guy like that is not going to respond. He's like, if, uh, if Trump was even more evil and mendacious and wily and, and, you know, uh, cared even less about human beings, you know, meanwhile, the government in Israel is about to put through a law to, to let, um, you know, to, to let them use live, live rounds to put down, uh, protesters. So, um, so that's good. So, so even the eternal descent, you know, there are Israelis, not just Arabs, Israeli Jews who are protesting, um, the current violence. And, um, they're, they're very courageous because, uh, there's going to be, I mean, talk about, um, you know, people who are worried about Trump being elected. Well, Biden right now is, is not doing much for a much worse version of Trump who's actively, uh, destroying Israel and, and, and just, you know, um, you know, a, a threat not just to the to the Palestinians and Arabs, but to uh, to others as well. So, um, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating though because it's very clear the U.S. has um, material pressure it could apply if it wanted to, and it just doesn't want to. But you know, this is how how politicians who care about their own um, positions of power they want to think ahead to when their next next election is and think about how in retrospect at that point the voters will view what happened uh and so we we see that the reason something leaked about the Biden administration not worrying about losing arab support because by then the, it's a year away so we'll have forgotten which is just insane uh to me but you know, I guess all we can do now is just because uh, that's the thing, right? We have our government has the leverage over um, Israel, uh, you know, notwithstanding the things you said about Netanyahu being kind of a, a lone wolf who might not respond. But um, all we can do is call our representatives and apply pressure in various ways uh, so that our government can can do the right thing. And, and other people around the world are doing the same with their governments. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Um, it's frustrating though. We won't even, we won't even make symbolic votes with the UN in the right direction. It's, it's gotta yeah. be just this, this backing of quote unquote self defense. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, and, it's a bizarre and, world. Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, I don't think Netanyahu is going to respond to a diplomatic pressure because, you know, he wants this war. He wants, and I think he, he wants it to, to go on as long as possible because the minute it's over, there's going to be call for new elections and he's going to lose them by a lot. Uh, and so, you know, maybe there's a sense of like doing this type of war crimes and making like all Israelis basically complicit in them too would sort of like back his, uh, well, you know. Well, let me make- tell you, Ryan, our government, our government has a history of trying to overthrow dictators. Uh, you know, so, so like, come on, you don't think if we wanted to, we could try to get, well, uh, Netanyahu budged out of power. Well, see, that's the thing where, where like, yeah, like there's much more blatant, like, like if, if Biden were to be like, listen, you know, in, in public, like going on Israeli television and being like, this is unacceptable where you are not going to get our UN security council veto free use card. We're going to take that away from you. We're going to take away your weapon subsidies if you keep this up because we yeah. think you're making study your Machiavelli. That's yeah. right. Yeah. You, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, you th- think about this from Biden as like, like a partisan perspective. Netanyahu was going before Congress in 2002 saying it was like absolutely unquestionably totally certain that Saddam Hussein has nuclear weapons and you should invade. And in 2012, he was straight up campaigning for Mitt Romney. He went before Congress to try to blow up Obama's nuclear deal with Iran. Uh, he was over the moon when Trump got elected. He has contempt. He, yeah, yeah. He has contempt for the Democrats. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and like he meddles in elections like, like Putin does, you know, like just not in secret, you know, just blatantly out there going before Congress to tell the American president, you know, it's like, I want to put up with this shit, you know, and to be like, and I think we would be absolutely within our rights to be like, if, if you want continued U.S. material support, Netanyahu's got to go. This is, for one thing, his fault. We need somebody else. Yes. You don't need and and, and and say, you know, say to, to, to Jewish Americans, this is the proper pro-Israel stance, yes, actually. It this is. This is what's, I mean, it, it just objectively is, you know. 
Oh man, we just need we don't need heroes for leaders. We just like just do the bare minimum that requires like stating the obvious and having basic uh, moral courage to use immense power. You know. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, there's p- people that have moral courage and that are sacrificing their lives that have um, so little power. So yeah. Well, I think I think that's that's pretty much that. You yeah. Know? It's. Uh, it's something that we'll we'll keep an eye on. Uh, oh, there's the weird. Do you want to mention the weird uh, Elon Musk connection? This was kind of interesting. Um, Starlink. Did you see this? I'm not. I I think I missed this this development. So as soon as Israel cut off all the communications in in Gaza, um, Elon Musk said that he would somehow provide Starlink to like nonprofits on the ground in Gaza or something. I, there was like a tweet about it. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's worth getting into, but uh, in this weird situation where like most of the world is against what's going on right now, and you have, uh, I think even a vast number of Americans, um, you know, who want to cease fire. It, it, there's been a lot of worst person in the world says good thing situations, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, and I think he he's one of them, but. Um, Impulsive guy, yeah. yeah. Israel's communication minister, Shlomo Kari, said that the government will use all means at its disposal to fight this. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, uh, you would not be surprised to see Elon go back on that particular promise. He's a mercurial dude. Um, I was going to say, you never know what people are thinking. I have a, I have a, a speculation. So I don't know if, if you're familiar with, with uh, what Joe Rogan thinks about all this, but Joe Rogan seems to be somewhat pro-Palestinian. Hmm. And um, and e- Elon Musk seems to be a big Rogan fan, goes on his show a lot. True. And it wouldn't surprise me if like if like that's the reason. <laughs> if he's like, you know what? I'm on Joe Rogan's side for this one. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Who you knows? know. um I guess critical support for Joe Rogan and this particular question Str- and nothing else. <laughs> Strange bedfellows, you know. <laughs> uh, Shall we talk about the House Speaker? Yes, yes. So from tragedy to farce is, is what we're doing. Right? Yeah, and probably back again <laughs> in about two weeks. That's it. So the incompetent Republicans, after I don't know how many attempts, finally, finally got a speaker, right? Mike Johnson. Yeah. Uh, the most most generic name of all time. It almost sounds like a Simpsons joke. I'm calling for Mike Johnson. You know, it's almost like one of those. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Majority yeah. Whip, IP uh, freely, and <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh man, and yeah, I've never heard of this guy, and he seems like just a a, a, a real, you know. Real peach, a real kind of um, yeah. He's from evangelical fundamentalist who denied the election uh, results, kind of guy. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know from what I can tell, reading around in the congressional reporting, um, he basically emerged as a dark horse candidate because he's not a huge piece of shit interpersonally. Like he's polite, soft spoken, friendly. Kevin McCarthy is kind of like this, like a big back slapping type. He, um, you know, he's only been in Congress for a couple of terms. So he has like basically no record of fundraising as compared to McCarthy, you know, who's was famously like a huge money, money grubber. 
uh, love to backslap and hang out with uh, billionaires and get them to write big checks. Um, you know, as compared to Jim Jordan, who's like professionally a huge dick, you know, like that, that's all he ever does. It's all he's ever done aside from his wrestling career is a professional asshole. Um, and, uh, you know, every, everyone hated his guts, Democrats, especially hate his guts. Um, and it's, it's hard, at least at this point to, to muster the same sort of visceral hatred from either, you know, cause uh, like Jordan, uh, pissed off a lot of the Republicans, you know, who like, um, when Steve Scalise was elected as a sort of like, you know, sort of consensus moderate type of person, like the way that the whole caucus thing is supposed to work is like you have your caucus election. Whoever wins gets automatically the support of the caucus. And then there were a handful of people who were like, no, and now you have to vote for me when we do the caucus election. And then the people who got burned previously were like, well, fuck you. I'm not doing that. You know, it's just like, you know, stupid. <laughs> student body president shit you know that you like you figure out in five minutes of actually trying to like run any kind of organization but when you don't care when you just want to get on tv and like piss people off um it's fine that's right but so john so there were there were multiple no. failed votes for for jim jordan including like him sicking his psychopath murderer followers on like uh, you know, the recalcitrant holdouts are like 20 of them that grew over time. They got started getting death threats, you know, from the Jordan heads and that it just didn't work. And so now Mike Johnson steps in as basically like, well, nobody knows who he is, so we can vote for him. And he's not a giant douche. Um, I miss John Boehner and his tears. That's that's <laughs> <laughs> Loosh, fucking. the John, the 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 you know the original uh, uh, OG orange uh, man in in DC, you know the the fake tan with the tears. Um, but yeah, yeah, the second uh, second. I mean, I guess Gingrich would be the first one, but yeah, Boehner. I remember reading his book, which is actually kind of a fun read. John Boehner's memoir, because it's like clearly he wrote it himself after drinking like six bottles of wine, you know. And he was also clearly an alcoholic. That's he right. Re- yeah, that's big true. time smoker and drinker. Um, and uh, yeah, read the book himself. He has like kind of a pleasing voice, and he's just like stuck in little improvisations. By the way, Ted Cruz, fuck you, <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> But he talks about all the crazies, you know, who basically forced him out of the speakership. And it was like, you cultivated those people. You know, you you pandered to all these lunatics to promise them the moon. And then when it turned out you had to actually compromise to govern, they were like, oh, give us the moon. Like, I can't. That's impossible. It's very far away and very big. And they're like, fuck you. Get out of here. And that's No, it's 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 like if you, uh, you know, were getting into dog fighting and, and you just uh, created this, this monster dog that you abused and abused and abused. So it'd be as vicious as possible just so you could unleash it on others. And it ended up, you know, attacking you. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Damn you dog. <laughs> Who could have predicted this dog would bite somebody. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, back to, back to Mike. Uh, yeah. So interpersonally, he's pretty polite. You know, he's he's not a sort of gleeful, vindictive jerk um, like Matt Gates or other folks. But he is really conservative. Uh, he He's like 
super anti-abortion. I think he supports like a total ban, no exceptions or only minor exceptions. He's a big time, not only anti-gay marriage, anti-gay sex. He wants to return to what was it? Lawrence v. Texas pre-2003 when they criminalized sodomy in a bunch of conservative states. So like, yeah, Bowers v. Hardwick, like uh, before Lawrence. Yeah. Pre-Lawrence. Yeah. Pre-Lawrence. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like like right wing evangelical Christian, quote unquote, you know, like like that. This this is all Jesus ever talked about was 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 abortion and gay stuff. Never any, never any money changers involved in Christianity. Let's let's not be a, a brain even bring it up. Don't look for it. Don't keyword search the Bible for money changers. Doesn't happen. Not in there. He was also, <laughs> I think, uh, involved. He was he was centrally involved, in fact, in the January sixth effort to overturn the election, um, not through the the violence, but through crackpot legal theories. He was a guy who came up with the, you know, he invoked the independent state legislature doctrine to say that mail-in voting was unconstitutional. And therefore, you could say that any state that had mail-in votes, you could just throw those out. And that means that, that Trump would win. And therefore, you know, open and shut case, Trump's now president. And previously, a lot of uh, conservative, you know, the the less like Looney Tunes conservative Republicans in the House who are like they're grasping for some kind of intellectual like finger holds to be able to justify this are like, well, we can't listen to Sidney Powell. She's like she's got bees coming out of her ears. You know, she's clearly nuts. Uh, whereas this guy, he had just like a thing that sounded buttoned down, even though it's every bit as insane as anything Rudy Giuliani or Sidney Powell or any of those other chuckleheads ever said. It was just like, yeah, let's just throw out the votes for the other guy. And uh, it's constitution says you can do it. It's just that easy. Boom. And, you know, and like 150 Republicans are like, wow, that's so smart. I'm voting to overturn the election. <laughs> And so I would say this guy's maybe even more sinister than Jim Jordan. You know, he's just like the same exact shit that's more effectively packaged in a, you know, a that's right. pleasing. A more polite package. Exactly. Yeah. And possibly more effective. But. So we should be, uh, you know, it, it's tough to be scared in the sense that they struggled as a party to even get a speaker for so long that uh, their ability in, with such thin margins to do almost anything seems uh, like, I don't know, but um, th they certainly will obstruct very well, I guess. Um, and look, you know, they don't have uh, the Senate uh, or the presidency anyway, but like, it's a, it's a big bummer. Remember when we thought we might even get the house uh, <laughs> in the midterms and then, you know, almost slipped did. out of our fingers there. Yeah. So. Well, this may be um, uh, oh one more thing actually before we close off the speaker discussion. I I, I want to mention that um, you know nothing. It's like they were so proud of themselves. Like we elected a speaker. It was like the the shit that, <laughs> that happened. They want the gold star. It was like not only happened automatically. We already it took us fifteen votes to elect the first one, and then we got rid of him for no reason. And then it took us like another ten votes to get a second one. You're like wow, we're so good. It's it's like you walked into your house and turned the lights on. Damn, I'm like a construction genius. <laughs> um, but what got rid of McCarthy was the fact that. They, as you said, they don't control the Senate. They don't control the presidency. And there's a bunch of must-pass stuff coming up, aid to Ukraine, aid to Israel, you know, stuff that the Republican Party itself 
views as sort of non-negotiable. And so how are you going to pass it? Well, you're going to have to rely on Democrats because of the insane people. And then what's what's going to happen then? Are they going to turf him out, too? And then you're going to have to find another guy who's just, you know, out of nowhere. Put a put a Groucho Marx mustache on him. And so now his name is <laughs> Jake Monson. And <laughs> but so I, I, uh, I don't know, maybe they'll they were so humiliated by this life last progression of just like absolutely self-imposed fumbling idiocy that they won't do it again. But I would not bet on that at all. I would not bet on, uh, yeah, the Republicans sense of shame, uh, but what's possible. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Stranger things, stranger things have happened. Um, well, in, in other terrible national news, um, should we talk North Carolina? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is worth mentioning oh. as, uh, you know, sort of indicative of the national mood. Um, so the, the state Supreme Court in North Carolina flipped back in 2022 from Democrat to Republican, and they uh, therefore issued a new decision that partisan gerrymandering is just fine. And so they have just recently passed uh, extreme, like, maybe the worst in the country, gerrymanders at both the state and the federal level. So both the, the state house and the state Senate are gerrymandered to piss. Um, the, the, uh, state congressional districts, the, uh, <clears throat> there's, I guess there's 14 of them. It is now seven to seven because the 2022 election was basically a tie. Um, and there were district boundaries that were imposed by a federal judge that were like more or less fair. Uh, that would probably be, um, 11 to three on the, with a Republican gain, maybe, maybe 10, maybe 11, depending on the turnout. So a gain of three to four seats, which I believe right now they have a margin of four seats, uh, or five seats. So, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about potentially hugely nationally significant changes, um, in, in how, yeah, the one part of the legislature Mm. is governed. And not, and also like to, at a state level, uh, democracy is 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 done in in North Carolina. Uh, elections are pointless; they mean nothing. Um, Democrats cannot win, even in a wave election for Democrats. Probably, uh, according to the analysis I've read, uh, Republicans would retain a supermajority in both houses of the legislature. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I would say Hungary or Poland are more democratic than than North Carolina is, you know. But in Poland, the opposition, you know, they they cobble. He's a spite a whole bunch of That's cheating true. sort of along these lines. It's amazing. The, 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 the Every other opposition party from far left to far right, they got together and they assembled a, a, co- a coalition because they're, you know, people got sick of the incumbent. You know, this, this happens uh, that, you know, and. Now that's completely impossible. Republican, permanent Republican rule, absent some, you know, there's going to be court challenges, but the Supreme Court has said uh, that uh, gerrymandering is fine so long as you don't do it on like explicitly race grounds. But they've also ruled that if you do it on explicitly partisan grounds through the mechanism of race, then that's fine somehow. Um, And 
Yeah, yeah. You can use race as and didn't use. This is not what the precedent used to be. By the way, no. it changed with the with the with the composition of the court. But um, yeah, with the the court swinging so far to the right, it, they said it's okay to use race as a proxy for partisanship, right? And that's somehow not a violation of uh, you know <laughs> the, the equal protection clause uh, or the due process clause. So, yay, democracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the uh, um, yeah. I think the most convincing the you know the re- the reason why uh you you want political competition and the a phrase in the uh constitution is like one of the duties of congress is to make sure that every state has a quote unquote republican form of government. Small r, thank you. Uh That's right. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, what does that mean? A lot of conservatives say, well, we're not republic, not democracy. But it's like, a, you know, you could point to republics that were not, they didn't have like universal franchise, you know, that they, they would have like property qualifications, that sort of thing. You know, Roman Republic, that was not, that was that the women couldn't vote. Uh, poor people couldn't vote. Slaves couldn't vote. Uh, but what, the, what there is, and I, I think it's fair to, fair to say, like, if you're, if you're a republic, you have legit political competition, you know, that, that re- regardless of how you draw your sort of, you know, your, you, you, you chop up your, um, electorate, you can't just cheat, you know, you, you, you can't. No, no. In, in fact, the, the, let's just let me rant for one second about Please. the republic, not a democracy. That that whole distinction was because the founders meant democracy in the sense of direct democracy, in the sense of like uh, self determination through active participation in in policy making and voting by all citizens, not through representatives, but but through you know, like in, in Athens, for example, uh, the lottery, where like uh, you know. You would just get picked and then, you know, okay, go in and, and, you know, be in the government for a while <laughs> and then, then you come back out. And it's just like everyone had to come in and out and be involved with most things. You know, there are certain things that were reserved for expertise, uh, like treasury or being a general, something like that. But, um, but they had, you know, in ancient Athens, juries of like 500 people. Uh, and that's what it was like more democratic, meaning the demos, the people were just involved in, in everything and in, in the governance, uh, policy making, lawmaking and administration and so forth. So like representative government was coined. Um, I think maybe by Hamilton, actually. I think he coined that term representative, um, democracy, representative. Yeah. Um, so, so like representative democracy was like kind of, kind of an oxymoron initially. And it, and so that's where the Republic is the same concept of like self-determination, res publica, the public thing. Like it's, it's a, it's a place where, where the people are represented. Um, but not necessarily through the demos itself always being involved, but through representing like the representation of the people's will and the people in the bodies that, um, are, you know, composed of people who are their representatives. And so that is the idea of democracy as, as it became, you know, used in colloquial, um, you know, terms over time. And so now to, to, to use that kind of distinction as a way to say that we can just like ignore the people's will or override it or make it impossible for the voice of the people to be heard. Um, well, that's a perversion of what Republic itself was supposed to be, right? Which is just like a different way to represent that the good of the people and have self-determination through this system. And so, you know, yeah, it's, it's, uh, this is not a functioning Republic. What, what, what's going on? 
So uh, it's not democratic and it's not um, Republican in a smaller sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, what was the first word of the first words of the Constitution? <laughs> like, we the people. We the people. Not That's not right. this random 20 percent of the people. They get to do everything. They get to make all the decisions and everybody else has to just shut up and take it. You know, that 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 I think, you know, you you could make. Lots of criticisms of, of as, as I was saying, you know, the bunch of slave own, slave owning aristocrats who wrote the Constitution and stuff. But the idea that you could just have one political faction uh, that just like rules over everyone else. and There's no way to get rid of them, uh, regardless of who votes for what. Uh, it's outrageous. You know, it's like this is why they fought the revolution right. in the first place. It was exactly. In fact, I would argue. I mean, I'm not a historian. But like the the impositions and the the duties that the British monarchy was attempting to impose on the colonists were not like terribly onerous at the end of the day. You know, it was like pay for this, yeah, right. pay for that. And you you sort of I think it was as much of a sort of cultural thing and, and a mismanagement of the relationship on the part of the, the British government as it was like you know, just terrible, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're like looting the entire, uh, place, you know, t- turning people upside down and like emptying their pockets of coins and taking them up, you know, like, uh, it was a lot, you know, more, you know, contestable in that. And that's why a lot of the, you know, um, people like Dr. Johnson, you know, so like, why do we hear the, they, they thought we were a bunch of hypocrites, you know, to some degree we were, the, the, why do we hear the greatest yelps for liberty from the drivers of Negroes? Um, whereas here, you know, it's like right. you, you have a, a system which is set up on an explicitly sort of like representational basis, you know, it's like, this is how you're drawing these boundaries to determine like who is going to be represented in a way that explicitly and blatantly and intentionally undermines the entire purpose of doing that in the first place. You know, it's like, it would be more honest to just have a dictator, you know, this guy's in charge and none of this voting shit means anything. So don't bother. You're not going to get to do it. And, you know, so it's, it's like, a, yeah, uh, it right. pisses me off, I guess I would say. <laughs> so she says she should. That's right. <laughs> Not good. Uh, we, you, you are right to be mad. It's, it's important. I, this, this is maybe a silly small point, but it's important to get, to have, and this is like an Aristotelian point too, is to have the right emotional responses to things, you know? Um, and, and so, you know, in, in, in Greek, thumos is the spiritedness and, and the source of kind of your righteous anger. You know, there's like a tripart soul that Plato talked about. And he says the three parts of the soul, uh, the reason or logos, uh, the, the will or appetite, and then the thumos, the spiritedness, or it's like, if you think of like the head being the reason, the heart being kind of, uh, where your thumos, your spirits, your courage is, you know, it's like Rocky has, he's all heart, right? He's all thumos. Um, but also that's what, what we think of people who go to the defense of others or who are outraged by injustice. Um, and so, you know, a well-formed soul orders those three things. Well, to do that, you have to like understand intellectually, you know, the injustice, some things are, are maybe viscerate. Like when you see the images from Gaza should, should be so you don't, you can like almost 
straight bypass the intellect because it's so so obviously uh, unjust that, that you go straight to the thumos and have the righteous anger. Although some people can reason and ra- abuse the, the use of their reason and rationalize away. This is what Rousseau said. You know, reason is dangerous because uh, animals have the instinct to to not you know walk past a, a dead um, you know being an animal or you know it's it's something they have pity for naturally. But our reason. Uh, changes our way of response that that and makes it you know less natural and, and lets us override that natural sympathy and, and pity but um but here you know the fact that you're so pissed off is is a great sign because it's aligning those three things and, and so you have the will to want to do something about it and that's uh that's where like the people rise up and will do something um you know uh, so that these people abusing their power don't keep um doing what's wrong but there are all kinds of ways from from media to ideology to just uh harming people economically and otherwise that makes it hard to respond in those ways um because it can change our our emotions to apathy or cynicism it can change our our kind of response to um to make us dissociate and so i don't know that's why these newsy episodes can be good to you know, refocus on what should we be attending to together? What should we be feeling something about? And, uh, yeah. yeah. So, well, and I think to your point, it, you, 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 you get down to sort of political brass tacks, you know, it's like, what is the point of having a representative government, a, a, a democratic institution? And one of the big ones is to prevent political conflict from, from spiraling into violence. You know, it's like you channel the conflict into the electoral arena and then you, you resort to like a, a, a facially legitimate and easily Re- replicable, you know, uh, decision process, namely the election. And then that, uh, provides a legitimacy for, for the governing party to, to rule for a limited length of time. And then you can, you know, you could just do that again and again. The, 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 the folks who lose, they lick their wounds. They go back, say, we'll get them next time. We're going to change our platform. That's right. We're going to find some new leaders, whatever, rather than. I'm going to the country. I'm going to get my people. We're going to get guns. We're going to fight it out in the street. That historically very That's common. Right. That's right. It's happened many, many times. You know, history of the Roman Empire, uh, uh, dozens of occasions where the, you know, it was just who, who had, who has this, the, the, the loyalty of the soldiers or the soldiers just put a guy on the throne themselves. They pick somebody. They're like, you're the dude. And. I feel like Republicans maybe right. sort of don't realize what they're playing with. You know, it's like they they always think that they can just cheat and cheat and cheat. And the other party is just going to lie down and take it. Like historically, for the last decade, you know, when they first did that in Wisconsin, I think that's probably the most extreme form of cheating at, uh, starting in 2011 since the end of Jim Crow in 1965. Uh, you know, liberals have they were I think they're so bewildered. That that it, it just sort of did. They couldn't really believe that it was happening to them. But now it's sort of starting to sink in, I think, you know. And so you see people like uh, Representative Trisha Cotham, you know, or Cotham. I don't know how you pronounce that. So so this lady was elected in like a plus 20 Biden district on a strongly abortion like message. Then double crossed her constituents by switching to the Republican party and giving them a supermajority, which allowed them to uh, pass a really stringent abortion ban. 
um, a few months ago. And now she's been given a new district that's like f- uh, Trump plus 15 in in, uh, you know, as a reward for betraying, you know, her basic duties as a as a legislator and just like like pissing in the face of every uh, North Carolinian to think that they deserve honest representation and like a legit campaign instead of some deep cover Republican op, you know. And just to think that you 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 could be like just sort of oh I'm just going to enjoy my my future political career being a Benedict Arnold against the <laughs> voter of my own state and not have any right. qualms about it you know I think maybe you should have some qualms. <laughs> That's right. No, and look, it's true that you know as much as we can critique uh, the founding or any number of um, political elites in our history. Uh, you know, Madison, as the kind of architect of the Constitution, was concerned um, insofar as he was anti-democratic in the sense of um, wanting a representative democracy or a republic instead of direct democracy. It's because historically direct democracies uh, were not stable and were only specific to small populations and small territories. And um, and then the, the problem of empire is a problem of the bigger territory. So he was trying to kind of figure out a way to have Stability. That's like Federalist Number Ten. It's it's the first you know purpose of a of a well constructed union is to um, you know prevent and, and control uh, the violence of factions and factions being you know groups that are uh, united in interest or passion um, against other groups or against the common good and you know it's uh, it's something that. It's frustrating because you have your, your your establishment Democrats, your centrists, your you know your liberals who kind of freak out at um, at what's happened with the Republican Party and MAGA and these lunatics, um, and yet they won't recognize the truth spoken by leftists about the corruption of the Democratic Party establishment, and um, and they don't understand that if you want to have like a, a vast transformation uh, of our polity away from from this kind of stuff. Uh, there's a reason why people thought that these crazy MAGA people were going to drain the swamp and shit. Like, even though they themselves are the most um, anti-democratic and corrupt figures in political power, they, they were running on a kind of faux populist anti-establishment platform because many people do rightly see that they're not represented and that their interests are not considered and that they don't have real influence. Um, and so until, you know, we actually address that, not just with the Republican crazies, but just generally in our system and we, we move away from plutocracy and oligarchy. Um, yeah, it's just another reminder about the relationship between fascism and plutocracy and oligarchy, right? Like that they're symbiotic. And, and that's something that we can't, can't think of as, as a problem that's just on one side of the partisan aisle. So, um, and, and now hopefully a lot of people are seeing that. That uh, fascist and genocidal instincts are, are something that Democrats are, are fine with supporting. So, um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's another reminder that uh, we're going to go through another presidential election where it's going to be the, the whole lesser of two evils thing and you're going to get the same tired discourse. But really, we all need to think about how to transform the whole system um, from repeating these dynamics because the, you know, the cycle of violence in the middle East, we've got our own cycle of violence here, um, politically, economically, and otherwise uh, that we need to think about too. 
So, yeah. Um, oh, before I, before I forget uh, one last thing on, on Gaza, just because, um, we didn't mention that the hostages families have been incredible in understanding that what Netanyahu is doing and what Israel is doing is not at all, uh, in the best interest of their, uh, loved ones and is not at all oriented to releasing, um, the, the hostages. And so, um, have you seen this, this call, this everyone for everyone, this, this idea of having, um, yeah, cause there's a bunch of, of course, uh, Palestinian hostages held by Israel. And, and this everyone for everyone is kind of this brilliant idea. Just exchange all of, all of the hostages on both sides, like it's reciprocal exchange. And it also matches this idea, everyone for everyone as a kind of broader, kind of maxim, like everyone should care about everyone, you know, like everyone should support everyone's lives instead of these mendacious leaders who are uh, not caring about anyone. Yeah, there's a there's a fellow named uh, Marwan Marwan Barghouti, who has been in a is, Israeli jail since 2002, I believe. We ran an article at the Prospect saying arguing that it, that he should be released. Um, he, he was, I guess, one of the organizers of the first and second intifadas. Um, and, you know, so people could say, some would argue, you know, that, that he's not like Nelson Mandela in that he, uh, you know, ha- has a history of advocating violence. But the thing about that is Nelson Mandela also advocated violence. He was all for, for his armed struggle. And it was only when he was like caught and put in jail that, that he became, you know, cottoned on to sort of the value of nonviolent protests. And basically the same thing has happened to this fella. Um, and he is by far the most popular leader in the, in the Palestinian territories in Gaza or, uh, or the West bank. And, you know, if you, as you said, you know, you could do a sort of like, like everyone for everyone that would include this guy who, if you wanted a credible negotiating partner, somebody who could actually implement some sort of a lasting settlement between Israel and, and, uh, uh, Palestine, this guy would be it just like Mandela, you know, warts and all that Mandela had many of them. Um, and so, you know, it's like, to, to the 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 extent that they're not considering that at all, so as far as I can tell, I, I right. think that that tends That's to demonstrate, right. you know, these these the families of these hostages are correct to sense that Netanyahu doesn't give a shit. He will kill them all. You know, he's after to save his own hide. It's the only thing he cares about. He doesn't care about this, the, the people captured by Hamas or the people who are under the future threat of Hamas violence uh, that may come. It's not his priority. That's right. Yeah. And that's a great point that you're making because it reminds us that's the kind of imagination that we need right now because it's easy with the deluge of, um, death and destruction and, and the, the just the, the, the savagery that is being, um, supported by the powers that be to remember also that there are many possibilities that, that, that you just thought of that others are thinking of that are being thought of by the hostages families. Um, Many situations, because I, I was asked in a, in a DM, I need to respond to it still, but uh, I'll respond to it here, I guess, is, you know, um, when we talked to, to David Cleon um, and, uh, you know, maybe even in the last episode, whether it's a two-state solution or a one-state solution, um, it's, you know, both seem very, very unlikely. And, and the third option is genocide, of course. But, like, just because right now it seems unlikely to have these... Um, 
to have peace and to have diplomatic solutions, to have a kind of transformative change in ending the occupation doesn't mean that it's not possible. doesn't mean that that's not what we should focus on. And I was asked about other models for this kind of thing. And, and none of them are exact, but, but of course the analogies by definition have something similar, something different, but like whether it's South Africa that you just talked about or whether it's Northern Ireland. I mean, I remember, don't, don't you remember when thinking, okay, th- there's never going to be peace. Like the, 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 you know, the, the, yeah. the troubles as it were, right. Seems really intractable. I just, uh, and so that's something that reached a peaceful set, you know, at, at the time when you're in the midst of it, it does not seem possible, right. In those kind of situations. And yet we've seen the impossible happen. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's wrong to, to focus on, um, there's no exact, uh, I mean, this goes back to Marx. There's no, there's no um, recipes for kitchens of the future, right? Uh, we don't need to know exactly how yet um, in order to agitate for the thing that will be new and that will um, give the peace and justice that's deserved. And in retrospect, we can learn from it and we can learn from the past successes now. But uh, that was a great, great idea that you just came up with because it just shows the kind of creative thinking we need. Um and, and more, more than anything, we need people pushing for attempts um, at peace with bare minimum calls for ceasefire and, and beyond, right? That's just a, the first of many, many steps um, that, uh, that follow the opposition of the, the, you know, the people who don't care at all about peace. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I should I should clarify. You know, this article is by a, a, a Berkeley professor named Jerome Carabell, so it wasn't wasn't my idea exactly. No, nope, you're credit. Uh, you get all the credit. It's all yours. You're the managing editor of the prospect. All the credit to you. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, we should link to the article. We should link to the article, though. We, I meant credit to you for bringing it up yeah. in the context of this conversation. Credit to, to the professor for writing the article about it, and we'll link to that yeah. as well. And I would say, you know, maybe just to cap it off, you know, it's like what what. What was the prerequisite for ending the troubles? Well, it was people on both sides who wanted the troubles to end. And I think that's if you're an Israeli looking at this situation or, or, and being like, you know, there's not a way out of here and this could go horribly wrong for us in about a thousand ways. What you got to do is you got to get rid of Netanyahu. If it's never going to be fixed, not in terms of Israeli security or the lives of Palestinians or anything that you could justify wanting to have, as long as he's in there. He's going to screw it up. Yeah, that's right. At the very minimum. And it, I mean, that is so it's it's not sufficient, but it's necessary. Yes. And, and the same thing to everyone that's that's focusing on on Hamas or anything else. None of that matters if Netanyahu's in power. None of that matters. Right. And in fact, we don't have influence over Hamas. We have influence over uh, Israel. Right. And and the people in Israel have influence over uh, their own government. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was a much more hopeful ending to the episode than I thought we'd have going in. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you never, you never know. It, it certainly looks horrible, but you know, things can sometimes turn for the better all of a sudden. Without, um, you know, it does happen in history sometimes. When we, the people in the, around the world, rise up right against uh, tyranny, then the new, new constituted uh, ways of being are formed. So. Yep. That's the true constitution worship that people in this country should think about, right? <laughs> Actual emancipatory, liberatory solidarity against injustice around the world. Great. 
Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you in the next episode.